This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to your weekly podcast, Into England's Past. I'm Charles Rowe. Now, this week, as it's almost Easter, we're looking at a particular Easter tradition that children can't resist. Searching for chocolate Easter eggs hidden at the foot of trees, in bushes or under the nose of a garden gnome is a popular pastime at this time of year, as is eating your hoard. But have you ever wondered who started this peculiar tradition? Well, this week I'm joined by senior properties historian Dr Andrew Han to crack open the hidden history of Easter egg hunting, look at how the tradition evolved and understand why we're still drawn to it today. Andrew, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Well, it's great to be back. So hunting for Easter eggs is a tradition that many of us take for granted. How does it fit in, though, with the most important date in the Christian calendar, Easter? Well, the idea of eggs as having important associations with sort of spring and new life is is one that goes back a long way to pre-Christian societies. And it was really these ideas that were adopted by the early Christians. They made the egg the symbol of the resurrection and therefore the empty shell was a metaphor for the empty tomb that Jesus uh, had been laid down into. So there's a very clear link very early on with, with the Easter story. And how were eggs adopted as a symbol for early Christians? Well, in the medieval period, there's two different theories. One is that the idea of the Easter egg emerged in Mesopotamia and then came through Russia and the Orthodox Church and then spread to the Catholic Church and Protestant religions after that. The other is that the idea of the egg as a Easter object, linking the egg with Easter, is more of a, a Western tradition. And this comes from the idea of Lent being a period during which there was 40 days of fasting, and one of the things you weren't allowed to eat during Lent was eggs. And so when you broke your fast, particularly if you were poor, eggs were your main source of protein, and therefore eggs were consumed in a you know sort of feasting period over Easter. Uh, and so this eggs had this association of breaking the fast. Uh, and eggs were also, of course, often at Easter period given up as uh, Good Friday offerings, villagers would often give them to the lord of the manor and they're also given out at the church to the poor so there's been a long sort of tradition of of associating easter with eggs it sounds as though there's a strong symbol there and also the fact that it was almost a luxury good it would have been at a time when you know most of the poor people would have been living primarily off bread and beer and water or whatever to have something like eggs to provide some protein was actually a really you know really important for their their survival so actually to to be able to have these during easter was a real treat i think these days during lent of course one doesn't give up eggs one gives up chocolate and that's the sort of thing that you do yes of course <laughs> but it's sort of we'll get on to the chocolate easter eggs a little bit later so how and where did the tradition of hiding eggs for children to find first start Ah, well, that emerges in, in really in Central Europe, in sort of the Czech Republic and Germany and, and, and that sort of area. And some people suggest that the origins date back to the 16th century, when the Protestant reformer Martin Luther started organising Easter egg hunts for his congregation. And the suggestion would be that the men would 
hide the eggs around the church and in the grounds, and the women and children would then go and look for them. And this was a sort of a, a bit of a nod to the story of the resurrection, where the empty tomb had been discovered by women and children. That's really interesting. I mean, where were these eggs hidden? Is there a meaning ascribed to to this? Well, what we can see is, particularly in the German Lutheran tradition, you've got an association between the Easter egg hunt and also the Easter bunny or the Easter hare, as they were known originally. And there's references going right back to the 1680s for this in a, a book by George Frank von Frankenau, and he talks about the Easter egg, and he, he links the hares and the rabbits to Easter and association with sort of fertility in the Virgin Mary and and that sort of thing, and, and often hares appearing in the in paintings of the Virgin and Christ. And the idea is that the hare would bring a basket of brightly painted eggs for all the children who'd been good, and these had been hidden around the house and the garden for the children to find. So there's the two stories of the, the Easter egg and the Easter hare are quite closely associated. The idea of this being something to sort of to reward children who've been good in a way that, you know, we often do with Christmas presents today or with uh, or with Easter eggs. It's really interesting that whoever came up with this idea came up with a hare or a rabbit and not a chicken because obviously <laughs> hares have nothing to do with eggs, they're mammals. Yes, it is very, very interesting, isn't it? I think it's because, as I say, this association with the hare with fertility because breeding like rabbits, you know, the idea that they're very fertile and and that has association with the Virgin Mary and it, and it goes a long way back. Yeah, I guess I, I can sort of see that link now, actually. So we've established that um, we have the Easter hare or the Easter bunny if as it sort of evolved, but um, how did the egg-finding tradition where children are looking for these eggs, uh, come to be practised in England. It was started in Europe, obviously, and then it came over to England. How did that happen? Well, we think that it came over, with, like a lot of German associative traditions, with the Hanoverians when they uh, came over to Britain in the, uh, the late 17th, early 18th century. And it was practised initially mainly in the royal court. And um, We know, for instance, that Queen Victoria enjoyed egg hunts as a child at Kensington Palace, and these were put on by her mother, who was the German-born Duchess of Kent. Uh, and, you know, there's one reference I've got from uh, Queen Victoria's diary from 1833, where she, where she says, Mama did some pretty painted and ornamented eggs, and we looked for them. So, you know, you, very clear reference there to, to Queen Victoria's childhood of her searching for eggs. And this is then a tradition which is then popularised by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, and they bring it to a much wider audience because of the fact that really the daily lives of Victoria and Albert were always in the media's attention. So, you know, what that whatever they were doing, people knew about. And so that's how it became sort of more popularised. As we've discussed with Christmas and how we almost have a Victorian Christmas as a result of the traditions that they started at Osborne House, etc., etc. Um, did Queen Victoria and Prince Albert then, as adults with their own children, have Easter egg hunts at their various royal properties? Any of those English heritage ones as well? They certainly did. I mean, Victoria and Albert, they did hide Easter eggs for their own children, but it was on Maundy Thursday rather than actually on Easter Sunday. And they were usually at Windsor Castle when they did this, so because uh, that's where they generally spent Easter. And what they did was Albert was always responsible for hiding the eggs, and he would conceal them in little moss baskets, little baskets with moss in, and he'd place the eggs inside. And these were hidden all over the palace, so all over Windsor Castle. 
and Victoria makes a new, numerous references to this in her journals. Every year she she writes, you know, things after breakfast, the children, as usual on this day, looked for Easter eggs. So you get this idea that they have their breakfast and they go out hunting for eggs. So very much as a sort of tradition that we would do ourselves. And there is one occasion when they're staying at Osborne House in 1848, and they do continue the tradition there when they are there. So the Queen writes, During our breakfast and after, the children hunted for Easter eggs, it being Maundy Thursday, and they did it with the greatest delight. So, you know, you get this idea that, yeah, wherever they happen to be at Easter, they look for eggs. And I expect they had plenty of places to look for at uh, Osborne House on the Isle of Wight, because that's a, a large property with plenty of grounds. They must have been out there for hours. <laughs> yeah, you, you wonder where they would have hidden them. I don't know, maybe it was at the Swiss cottage or maybe it was over the different parts of the, the house or maybe it was in the gardens. You know, the, these Easter egg hunts, they could spread out from the house into the garden and, and I suppose the idea was to make them to be concealed but at least sort of visible enough so that the younger children could find them. Yes, and low enough down. <laughs> yes. Not too high up. If Queen Victoria's children are looking for these eggs within reaching height, obviously... Would they be hard-boiled or would they have been fresh and, and, and painted? We assume that the eggs would have been hard-boiled. That was the usual tradition with uh, with the Easter egg. And what they would usually do is hard-boil them and then they would usually decorate them. So the simplest way was to boil the eggs with things like onion skins or beet juice or sort of oak bark and whatever, or walnut shells, and that would give them different colours. So if you did it with onion skins, that would give them a sort of rich golden colour, which is quite pleasant. If you used oak bark or walnut shells, it was a sort of black colour or dark colour, and then beet juice would produce a sort of pinkish hue. So you, you could produce quite interesting patterns as well by using sort of, for instance, in Ukraine, they used to use beeswax onto the egg so that when you boiled it up with the dye stuff, you'd then take the beeswax off and you'd have a sort of stenciled illustration on there. So you could do lots of sort of decorative things with them to make them look quite pretty. Would they have been eaten afterwards as well as hard-boiled eggs? Because they'd been cold sus- at that point, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I suspect in poor households they would have been. I'm not sure about whether the royals would have eaten. They may have done. Um, they would have been perfectly edible because they would have been probably hard-boiled that morning or, or the day before. Because obviously you don't want to waste fresh food, especially this as this is quite a, an important piece of protein during those mm. days. I would like to think that they were put into sandwiches or something like that. <laughs> yes, maybe egg and cress sandwich. <laughs> yes, perhaps. So how did the tradition of painting eggs that you just touched on first start? Uh, you talked about how they might be boiled and, and they change colour because of the dye associated with the skins. But um, who started that tradition of painting Easter eggs? Well, we think it goes back really to very early Christians. And certainly in the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a tradition of dyeing them or staining them red to represent the blood of Christ. So that was a very, very early tradition. And we have references to, for instance, King Edward I in 1290, purchasing 450 eggs, which were going to be decorated with gold leaf and distributed to his household. So we know that right throughout the sort of medieval period and probably earlier, you're having these decorated eggs, and some of them could be quite elaborately decorated. When do we get the uh, natural eggs replaced by the sweeter chocolate variety on these Easter egg hunts? Well, what you first see, start to see appearing is artificial eggs. They begin to appear in London in the 1850s, so in the Victorian period. And according to newspaper references I've seen, they become quite popular by the 1870s. 
And they're usually sort of paper mache or card eggs. And then there'd usually be something inside, a novelty inside. So, for instance, Queen Victoria notes in one of her journal entries in 1863 that baby Beatrice was very happy with a huge Easter egg containing a doll and its toilet, which Affy, her brother, had brought for her. So this idea that you get these sort of eggs that you open, probably the precursor of the sort of plastic eggs that you open and have a, a novelty inside, were becoming popular then. Chocolate eggs, though, they first appear in Western Europe, mainly France and Germany in the early 19th century. But here in the UK, it's really not until fries start producing the first chocolate egg in 1873. And then really it's then Cadbury's who create the modern chocolate Easter egg a couple of years later, 1875, when they develop a particular technique for creating a very pure cocoa butter that could be moulded into shape. And so it made it much easier to create the two halves of the Easter egg, which you can then stick together. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. I never really thought about how difficult it is to make chocolate. So you just sort of eat it, take it for granted. (laughs) I mean, originally chocolate was primarily a drink. It would have been ground from the cocoa and then you you mixed it with milk and drank it as a drink. And it was like that for, well, right from the sort of 18th century through to the to the late 19th century, it's only really late 19th century onwards that you get these companies that actually come up with techniques to actually be able to make bars of chocolate as opposed to liquid drink. Once Fry's and Cadbury's get in on this Easter egg making act then, I suppose the Easter egg hunt becomes somewhat more of a chocolate-driven activity that children would naturally be attracted to because they're getting quite a sweet and tasty reward at the end of it. When does that modern Easter egg hunt sort of really start? Well, I think we're looking at the very late 19th, early 20th century when, well, a number of things happen. You've got the the development of these Easter eggs by companies like Cadbury's, but in a sense, they're responding to changes in society at the same time. You know, family life is becoming more of a priority for the for the middle classes, the Victorian middle classes. They've got more disposable income. Also, there's a move away from the sort of old focus on traditions, religious traditions, and more towards family life. So that really ties in with this idea of Easter eggs and hunts, hunting for Easter eggs around the house. But even at the very end of the 19th century, it's obviously still quite a novelty. I mean, when the poet A.E. Hausmann writes in 1892, he notes that in Germany at Easter, they time they hide coloured eggs about the house and gardens that the children may amuse themselves in discovering well you wouldn't be writing something like that if it was a commonplace that everyone was doing so it suggests that it was really only into the early 20th century that the commercial arm of the confectionery companies really starts to popularize easter egg hunts to promote their products Mm. but do we have any other traditions from easter or that still exist today that are sort of less well known in local communities there are indeed. There's there's lots of Easter traditions, um, particularly in northern Britain or northern England and and, and Scotland. Um, some of these are you know go back centuries, really, to the early days of the of the Easter egg. And there's a particular tradition known as pace egging. Pace comes from the Latin pascha for Easter, and that's documented from the early 18th century onwards in parts of Lancashire, Cumbria, and southern Scotland. And that really involves around decorating eggs and then giving them as gifts to people. So rather than sort of hunting for them, you just sort of hand them out as gifts. And there are also plays associated with these. So you'd have pace egg plays, which are enacted in sort of village communities, a sort of like a passion play type thing. And there's also another tradition in the north of England called egg tapping or egg jarping, which involves hard-boiling eggs, decorating them, and then bashing them together and seeing which one is victorious by which one is the last to have its shell cracked. 
and they have the World Championship for this held in Peter Lee in County Durham every year. So it's <laughs> it's obviously still an ongoing tradition. Another one is egg rolling, of course, whereas you hard boil an egg, decorate it, and then roll it down a hill. And this is very popular in parts of Cumbria, even today. Places like Penrith Castle Moat, uh, a place where it happens, and Arthur Seat in Edinburgh, and uh, a place called Avonham Park in the centre of Preston as well. So, And they attracted huge crowds, you, historic photographs showing like thousands of people watching these uh, this egg rolling going on. That's fascinating. It sounds The first one sounds a bit like Conkers, and then the other <laughs> yes. one sounds a little bit like the cheese rolling that they do in Gloucestershire as well. But um, that one's a bit more dangerous, I think. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean, they, they are. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing all the, all the eggs had to be decorated in a different style so that you'd know which was yours when you were rolling it down to see who was the winner. But uh, yeah, it's uh, fascinating. And, and, you know, the egg rolling still goes on today, as I say, in those sort of places. But also it's been exported to North America and they have egg rolling at the White House every Easter. So look oh, out yes, for that next do, time. Oh, yes, don't they? So... Lastly, Andrew, what what do you think continues to attract families to this Easter egg hunt, which started off with the the royal family, with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, and has now spread, obviously, across the UK? What's the most most interesting draw, do you think? I don't know. I I think for some people, certainly for for my family, it's the quest element, the idea of going hunting for something. They're they're quite happy going and hunting for just sort of uh, hidden clues on a piece of card. It doesn't need to be an egg, but... uh, I'm sure the taste of the chocolate is uh, is quite an, is quite a draw as well. Uh, I mean, most certainly my children are addicted to chocolate and uh, eat at every opportunity. Yeah, I think it's the reward and the fact that it's almost like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow type thing, isn't it? It's an yeah. incentive. It's a treasure hunt, but there's a With- there is real treasure at the end. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you're getting something, something genuinely tasty to uh, at the end of the uh, the end of the quest, you know, as as opposed to just a, you know, a I don't know, a small trinket or whatever. You know, it it, it gives something that most. I, mean, I think I can't imagine there are many children out there who don't enjoy chocolate. So it's a it's a sort of universal treat, isn't it? You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. Next week, we're back to discover the true story behind the legend of St. George and the Dragon. He lived and died in around about the year 303. He died for his Christian faith, and the earliest evidence we have for him, it seems to indicate he was from the modern-day Middle East. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>